This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. In our continuing effort to showcase as many of the presidential candidates as possible, I am really excited to be joined by someone who's not only a best-selling author, a, someone who's been a speaker that has attracted audiences from all over the world. She's been described as a self-help guru. I'm not sure if that's accurate. We'll ask her. But she's certainly somebody that has helped uh, people deal with issues ranging from depression to uh, listlessness to a wide variety of subjects for a lot of people that didn't follow her work previously. She sort of burst onto the political stage nationally seven years ago when she ran for president, and she is doing so again. I am very pleased to welcome Democratic candidate for president and bestselling author Marianne Williamson. Ms. Williamson, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is no secret that running for president can be a difficult thing. It not only costs a lot of money, but it takes an enormous toll on your personal mm -hmm. life, your family life. It's a lot of work, and uh, sometimes it can seem like a, a thankless endeavor, especially for someone who is not necessarily considered uh, the most likely candidate to win why do this? You had such an incredible career. You have been a leader in the fields of spirituality, metaphysics, taught people a lot about meditation, uh, sold millions of books. Why choose to go into the political arena and run for president? Well, that's certainly a valid question. And your description of what it's like is absolutely correct. But I also uh, am among millions of people who feel that America is moving in the wrong direction and that the all-pervasive level of despair, particularly economic despair, that is experienced by a majority of Americans is being untended to, uh, almost neglected by the political system as it now exists. And I think that attending to that despair through fundamental economic reform with universal health care, tuition-free college and tech school, child care, paid family leave, uh, guaranteed living wage, guaranteed sick pay, 
as well as a real fundamental addressing of the climate crisis. I think that's not only what's going to win the White House with the Democrats in 2024, but in a way, even more importantly, I think it's what's going to repair this country. I think the situation is far more critical than either major political party is acknowledging in terms of just what people are going through in their daily lives in this country. Somebody needs to say that. Somebody needs to run for president saying that, and somebody needs to effectuate as president the changes that are demanded by that view. The You mentioned a couple of different policy areas there, but uh, substantively, in terms of policy differences, what separates you from uh, President Biden? Obviously, I don't hear mm-hmm. President Biden calling for free college, but uh, aside from that, you know, President Biden makes a big issue of climate change. He talks a lot about what uh, he terms Bidenomics and his <clears throat> attempts to make things a bit easier for the middle class. But in terms of of policy, where does Marianne Williamson differ from President Biden? Well, we can go through everything that you just said. First of all, he does make a big deal about climate. He says that it's an existential crisis. And there are, in fact, healthy uh, investments in green energy in the Inflation Reduction Act. However, He has also given more oil drilling permits than even President Trump did. He's approved the Willow Project, the $8 billion ConocoPhillips oil extraction project on the north slopes of Alaska. If you put together the oil drilling permits that he has given plus the Willow Project, those completely nullify any benefits that come from that uh, investment in green energy. He also has said that he would, uh, he would actually veto a Medicare for all bill. And the way you put it yourself, he's tried to make things a little better for the middle class. Well, first of all, I would point out what we all know to be true. There hardly is a middle class mm. in America anymore. Over the last 50 years, we've had a $50 trillion transfer of wealth into the hands of 10% of Americans. And that has left our middle class completely hollowed out. It has made a level of economic insecurity for the majority of Americans, a condition that is now baked into the cake. So when you say that the president wants to make it a little better for people, when you have one in four Americans living with medical debt, when you have millions of people who were just cut off Medicaid and SNAP benefits when we ended the emergency status from COVID, when you have uh, one third of your workers living on less than $15 an hour, half of them unable to find a place to live. We need to do more than, quote, unquote, make it a little better. And that's the point right there. The president is seeking to alleviate the stress of millions of people who are living within basically an unjust system. I want to end the injustice. And all of the issues that I've discussed that would do that are considered moderate positions in every other advanced democracy. They should be in ours as well. There's no reason why in the richest country in the world you have the majority of your people living paycheck to paycheck and reporting chronic economic stress. I hear a great deal from friends of mine and family members of mine who are Democrats who like many of the different things that President Biden has done, and they certainly prefer him to the alternative of what they consider to be the most likely general election opponent, President Trump. But they have raised uh, some concerns that maybe he's not as sharp as he used to be, concerns related to age and perhaps even cognitive decline. Is that a concern that you share at all? Well, I can see what everyone else can see, but as an American, I don't want to personalize this. I don't want it to sound like a personal attack against the president or ageism, but obviously we can all see that. 
Obviously, we can all see that. And Americans are thinking about the fact that we're talking about four more years of a very intense job. And Americans are thinking of the probability uh, that there could become a Kamala Harris presidency uh, in the midst of all that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to use it as a political weapon of any kind. But, yeah, I mean, your friends are among millions of people thinking that and saying that. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Marianne Williamson. She's a Democratic candidate for president. If you want to learn more about her issue positions or her candidacy in general, you could check out her website, Marianne2024.com. That's Marianne2024.com. The other issue I have to get your take on, because it's been in the news uh, over the last week or so, is uh, the the issues of, and I appreciate the fact that you don't want to personalize this or and keep it based on issues, and that's so refreshing in the political arena. But we saw this special counsel um, appointed in the case of his son, Hunter Biden. Some people have raised concerns about things like uh, possible corruption or at the very least appearances of impropriety. Is that a concern for you? Yes, of course. Now, it's important that our uh, judicial system act independently of the political system. And we all need to respect that. So we have the special counsel for the former president, for the current president, and Hunter Biden. And we need to respect that everybody is innocent until proven guilty. We need to respect the fact that Hunter Biden is not his father. Having said all that, we're going to have already a hard time in 2024. The polls show Trump, and of course, we don't know what's going to happen with Trump now. But at the current, uh, at the moment, the president is, is, neck and neck in the polls with the former president. The former president is now, not only was he indicted before, he is now indicted again. Clearly, uh, we need a candidate who is not tainted by any kind of political scandal. We need a candidate who, about whom people are not wondering, you know, what, when is the next gap and what will it say about, you know, the state of his mind. But even more importantly, I think we need a candidate who represents an intervention, a disruption of the political status quo. Because the political status quo, once again, going back to the issues, the political status quo is currently represented by the corporatist elements of both major political parties, leaves 10% of Americans doing very, very well, 20% of Americans getting by pretty well, and 80% of Americans in a state of constant struggle. That is unsustainable, it's immoral and it needs to end. That is what my pre- my candidacy and I think the candidacy. Well, I don't know. All I can speak of is my candidacy. Uh, it represents a disruption of that kind of economic injustice. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
When you mention the corporatist capture of the leadership of both political parties, I don't think you'd get mm. much of an argument from Democrats, Republicans, or independents. And I think it's one of the things that was certainly key to both President Trump's appeal in 2016 and Bernie Sanders' appeal in 2016 and uh, and 2020. I know that years ago you ran for Congress in California as an independent, and a lot of folks that are just gagging at the prospect of a Biden versus Trump rematch they say that's kind of what we need in the general election this time around we need an independent or third party alternative because of the corporatist capture of the democrats and republicans <clears throat> if you don't end up getting the democratic nomination is there any scenario in which you could see running as an independent uh, in 2024 for president this is a very critical time in american history and i don't want to contribute to clutter and scuttlebutt that actually makes things less clear. Right now, I'm running as a Democrat. I believe I have a kind of old-fashioned Rooseveltian notion of what the Democratic Party should stand for. But I will tell you this. My allegiance is not to my party so much as my allegiance is to my country. And I think we all need to come out of our silos, um, not just identifying ourselves by a particular, you know, our race, our color, our religion, or even our political party. So I will do whatever I can uh, to make sure that what I consider to be really neo-fascist elements do not walk into the White House in 2024. You alluded to the latest Trump indictment. This is this time out of Georgia. Very different than the two federal indictments because the president would not be whoever the president happens to be would not be able to pardon Donald Trump if he's convicted. What was your reaction to the latest allegations included in this Georgia indictment? Well, certainly they're not surprising, but I think that all of us need to, as I mentioned before, have respect. This was this was a grand jury that had to agree with those indictments. The prosecutor brought them, but the, she had a grand jury who agreed with all 10 of them. And now a jury of his peers will decide. So once again, we're all innocent until proven guilty. What we want to see is a fair trial. Um, but I do think it's interesting that the state of Georgia held him accountable on some level in a way that the Republican Party would not do. And I think there are a lot of Republicans who seem to me now to really be thinking about whether or not it was such a good job, such a good idea, the way they went along with him, sometimes in what had to have been contradiction to their own conscience, to their own understanding of the Constitution, and their own understanding of democracy over the last few years. I think we're just beginning to see the unfolding of what's going to be a tremendous drama. You know, I'm old enough to remember Watergate. And a lot of people, you know, Haldeman went to jail, Ehrlichman went to jail, John Mitchell went to jail. Um, we could see a lot of drama, and um, I just hope it will all be in the service of real justice so that we can move on and put this really painful chapter of our history behind us. We're talking with Marianne Williamson. Her website is Marianne2024.com. And uh, just to give you a perspective of where she is in the polling, she is polling, uh, depending on which poll you look at, somewhere around 9% of Democratic primary uh, voters. If that were the Republican side of the ledger, that would put her higher, except for everybody, every other candidate, except for Trump and DeSantis, although that's not necessarily reflected in the um, media coverage of 
of her candidacy thus far. Miss Williamson, last question about the uh, about the Trump indictment. And then I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the ideas that you're so passionate about. and You've been speaking about a lot of Republicans look at these four Trump indictments and uh, they'll say and obviously they all uh, allege different things. But they say, look, in the case of the accusations of overturning the election, there's not a whole lot of new information that wasn't known a year ago, 18 months ago, two years ago. And for a lot of Republicans, it does look like this is, to some extent, political opportunism. The fact that they would bring these charges in the midst of a presidential campaign when this is all information that was out there a year and a half ago or even earlier than that. Can you understand on the part of some Republicans, even maybe people who may not necessarily be Trump supporters, why they look at the timing of these indictments as being suspect? Well, I think that's very legitimate. I do think, however, we need to remember that if you say something was out there in the media or out there, we all knew it. That doesn't mean that a prosecutor was ready uh, with a team of lawyers to actually put together an airtight case that they could bring to a grand jury. So there are two ways of looking at it. You could look at it that, unfortunately, it just took this long, or you can look at it like, oh, this is this is fishy that it that it did take so long and that it is at this point. I can't say because none of us can really know. But once again, what matters here is not the timing. The ultimate thing that matters is guilt or innocence. I've spoken with Robert Kennedy on Jr. on this program. He's uh, polling very well in the uh, in the high, in the double digits as well, and uh, he seems quite frustrated at the prospect of there being no debates. Now, it's not unusual for an incumbent president not to debate his own primary opponents. I'm curious if uh, if that is a you kind of burst onto the national political stage with your debate performances four yeah. years ago. Is it frustrating? For for you, the fact that President Biden won't agree to any debates. And can you see a scenario in which there might be a series of debates just between you and Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Well, first of all, absolutely, I am frustrated. Uh, This is a matter of democracy. Um, The DNC should not be just determining and dictating who the president is. And mainstream media companies should not be chopping wood and carrying their water by invisibilizing me the way they are. Um, I am a declared candidate. I am, you know, even a, a, among Gen Zs, according to the New York Times, I'm only 7%, seven percentage points behind the president. I should be on CNN. I should be on MSNBC. I should be on more mainstream media. And this is all part of the system trying to block out anybody that they don't find convenient to the conversation. So the president absolutely should be debating Robert Kennedy and myself. Bobby Kennedy's agenda for the next four years is different than mine, and mine is different than his, and both of us are different from the president's. The American people should have an opportunity to hear all of their options. You know, all that a campaign is is a long job interview. You need mm-hmm. to interview, your, interview the candidates for the job. And how can you do that if you're not allowed to see them? Now, I have gone on uh, social media and said, hey, Bobby, debate me. Let's you and me debate. And he hasn't answered me. He won't give me an affirmative on that any more than the president will. So I hope the American people, I hope um, people such as yourself will continue to bring up the topic um, and that the American people will see this is anti, this is undemocratic, not 
allowing everyone to have um, full access to the ideas of the candidates. And by the way, if uh, Mr. Kennedy did want to debate you, I'd be happy to provide a forum on this program anytime. Thank and you. Uh, I think I think that'd be great. On the thank subject you. of um, thank you on the <laughs> subject of the mainstream media coverage, uh, you know, at, sometimes the mainstream media outlets, CNN, NBC News, etc., will ignore your candidacy. So, even at times when they'll cover Robert F. Kennedy Jr., there seems to be a hostility towards your candidacy because when mainstream media outlets don't ignore your candidacy, there does seem, and I don't think this is my perception, there does seem to be a concerted effort as if to portray you as some sort of a, a wacko or now the latest, uh, the latest narrative that the mainstream media has gripped onto is that you mistreat your staff and that you have sort of this uncontrollable rage. I think that's a quote from yeah. several of the articles about how you treat people. What, first of all, is that true that you mistreat staff people? And uh, why do you think the media is so hostile towards you? I think they're so hostile towards me because if enough people heard me, I would be starting a political wildfire. Why do I say that? Because I am the one speaking an agenda which is aligned with the view of the majority of Americans. The majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want universal health care. Poll after poll shows that. The majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want tuition-free college and tech school. All of the polls show that. The, uh, the um, a majority of Republicans as well as Democrats want a higher minimum wage. Poll after poll shows that. The majority of de- Republicans as well as Democrats, even gun owners, want more common sense gun safety laws such as universal background checks. Poll after poll shows that. So a political elite that wants to keep the conversation to that which serves a small group of their corporate donors, although it doesn't necessarily serve the majority of Americans, doesn't want somebody in the conversation who is pointing that out. Now, in terms of um, do I mistreat my, uh, my staff? Absolutely, I do not mistreat my staff. I'll tell you what I do. I do exactly what I'm doing right now. I see Joe Biden, and I look at his, at his policies, and how he's doing the job. And I go, no, that won't work. And so I'm running against him. Uh, I'm direct. I'm blunt. Um, you know, I'll tell you something. If I was reading articles about Ron DeSantis shaking up his staff, if a man does it, wow, you know, he, he sees what needs to happen and he's, you know, taking control. A woman does it and she's out of control and dysfunctional. And why'd she fire that person? I would ask you know, it's interesting. If you are taking donations from people, you have a responsibility when you are receiving political donations to put together the best campaign you possibly can with those dollars. And if some people uh, find that, you know, they don't have a job anymore because sometimes it's just that that particular job is not necessary anymore, or if they find that it was deemed by either a campaign manager or a candidate that the job was not sufficient, uh, then I'm sorry. Uh, In politics, they can start a firestorm and write letters to media 
And, uh, you know, it's the old proverbial disgruntled former employee drama. So it does sound you th- like you think that there might be an element of sexism to the coverage about these. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, I sure do, Frank. Yeah, uh, because I do. I, I, and, and I don't see any articles about uh, how, how Ron DeSantis has uncontrollable rage or anything like that. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, and I hope you come back. But before, uh, before you leave, you have mentioned repeatedly in your campaign and in the last 10 minutes that we've been speaking here, your proposal for tuition-free college. Uh, this yeah. is one of those ideas that uh, I think anybody that's had student loans, uh, this idea really appeals to them. Anybody that uh, has children that they've tried to put through college, the idea really appeals to them. But when you look at the the numbers, the government is already $32 trillion in debt, and we're getting more indebted every day. We already don't make enough money to pay our bills. Depending on which proposal you look at, Tuition-free college would cost somewhere between $30 billion and $60 billion a year. How can the country afford that when we're already a debtor nation and adding to that debt every day? Okay, there are several answers. First of all, we already had a tuition-free public colleges and universities system until the 1970s. University of Florida had a system. California had a system. Texas had a system. That's number one. Secondly, when you just mentioned how much it would cost, I want to remind you that we're paying $838 billion every year on the military. Even 60 Minutes has now, they've done better accounting on this and oversight than the U.S. Congress has. There is tremendous price gouging going on on the part of the defense contractors who are just basically left to regulate themselves. Uh, We have uh, some conservative voices saying we could get rid of 10% of that. Uh, I think we could get rid of 20% of that. I also want to point out that when people are better educated, they make more money. So uh, spending your money, investing your money in education is a way of investing in the growth of the economy. And I also want to point out that they have it in every other advanced democracy. We cannot afford to fall behind other countries in the things that actually help people thrive. You're not going to have a great America if people are not allowed to achieve their own greatness and their own self-actualization. And that is why we should invest in the education of our citizens. You have proposed a Department of Peace. I have uh, I have covered a lot of the problems with the military industrial complex and their stranglehold over policymaking in in Washington. An issue that's gotten uh, so much attention, not only in this country, but internationally, is what the United States is doing in uh, Ukraine. What would a president, Marianne Williamson, do to bring an end to this conflict in Eastern Europe? And uh, how do you think President President Biden is handling the situation. Last week, there was a meeting with 40 nations in Saudi Arabia. The United States was there. Most significantly, China was there. Brazil was there. India was there. There is a larger and larger global um, um, conversation among the nations of the world. This thing needs to have a negotiated settlement. That is the only way that uh, this thing can possibly end. But I have actually agreed with President Biden that I wish to see the negotiation be one in which there is a Ukraine. Now, I don't believe in, I don't agree with all of his rhetoric around the war. I don't agree with what seems to be a bit of a blank check, but I do agree with support for Ukraine. I am not a Putin apologist. 
Uh, I, I am an anti-imperialist, whether it's something that the United States has done or Russia has done. And so I do stand with the West on this in taking a line uh, and, and stating a line and forming a line past which Vladimir Putin cannot go. And would that support for Ukraine include giving the Ukrainians things like cluster munitions and no, uh, weapons? No, I'm glad like you that. mentioned that. Ab- yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely not. I very much disagree with President Biden's decision on the cluster bombs. They should not be used. 122 nations in the world have outlawed them. We should not be having anything to do with cluster bombs. So thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Mar- Marianne Williamson, it is a real treat to be able to talk with you. I hope you'll come back. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you'll have me. I appreciate it.